Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jarden's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Roman Teslik, the founder and CEO of Earth AI. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot for inviting me, Elise. It's a pleasure. Fantastic. So can you start by giving us an explanation about what does Earth AI do? Um, we're a vertically integrated metals expression company. We have an AI technology that precisely predicts where the new deposits are located. And also we have internal hardware that we designed and operations that we run to kind of efficiently test and develop these projects uh, to the point where we can hand them over to the mining developer to kind of bring the deposit into production. And when did you start this company? I started in 2016. So I came to Australia to do a PhD in geology. And, you know, while doing research, I realized that just the amount of data that we already have in the archives and that we are generating right now, like, you know, there's like hundreds of papers coming out every week. It's just beyond the limits of human capacity to analyze. And I just saw that, you know, like we are kind of, tapped out there and it needs to be solved. And um, for me, you know, I thought it's really important. It's probably the more important problem than solving my PhD problem. So (laughs) I dropped out, started Earth AI to to solve that problem, but in mineral exploration and geology. Sounds like an interesting commercial opportunity. So I'm keen to understand a bit more about how does that business model work in practice? Yeah, so um, we analyze all the available land that's kind of perspective mm-hmm. and, you know, is possible for exploration. Then we license it with the government, run our targeting to sort of identify the prospective areas and send our teams to kind of scout the area, figure out if there is any mineralization, then send our, our drilling operation team to kind of drill test the prospects, prove that if there are any minerals, and then prove how and test and prove how economically viable that deposit is. And then we kind of sell the project or kind of sell it partially and retain the royalty to the kind of mining developer that they can then develop the sort of the project into an operating mine. And uh, we are focusing on metals necessary to build sustainable energy infrastructure. As you know, there is like, Big shortage of lithium, cobalt, nickel, rare earth. And kind of we saw the problem because I'm an insider. You know, I saw the problem in exploration like five years ago when I started. But like now it's kind of very obvious that our current exploration methods are like not as efficient as they need, as the world requires, you know, them to be. Yeah, we're solving that. So to better understand that then, so... The origins of the problem that you're solving, is it because there's it's not efficient enough? Are you doing it at a cheaper cost? Are you actually capturing more data, as you mentioned earlier, and really utilising it? Of those different buckets, what is it really that you guys have come in and said, yeah, we're doing this and others aren't doing it and why? You think this hasn't problem hasn't been solved before? Yeah. I'll just tell you, you know, what it is now and I'll tell you how it works. So, Right now, when you think of exploration, it was like to the point where 
from deciding on the area to explore to the point where it becomes an operating mine, the success rate is less than one in 200. And so that for 200 projects you test, explore, only one of them becomes a mine. And the cost of testing this project around, you know, in tens of millions of dollars and a cumulative cost of that sort of one discovery is about half a billion dollars. Wow. So it's very expensive. And also there's a lot of failure. What are we doing is, first of all, getting a better accuracy of targeting and um, just sort of we're utilizing all the archive data that exists. And that's across geological data, drilling data satellite data, physical data, uniting that across continental scale to sort of learn on what the past explorers have done to better predict where, where to find the new ore bodies. That's one. And, you know, for the sort of first stage scouting and prospecting, our field tests show a 26% success rate. So one in four projects we target from satellite data turns out to have mineralization. Then obviously there is a question whether that mineralization is going to be big enough, economic, or if there is an ore body underneath that's profitable enough to mine. And that's where the second part of our business comes in, is that vertically integrated operations. So the point of them is to lower the cost of development. And we do in-house geology, in-house drone geophysics, in-house drilling. And overall, each part is 50% cheaper than hiring contractors. So we are already saving there on that discovery. It's not going to cost 500 million. It's going to cost 250 if we just run it in-house. But additionally, our hardware is designed to be low impact. And when our drilling operation moves in and moves out, there's no disturbance pretty much. You know, we don't do any groundworks. We don't do any disturbance. It's like surface hardware like in a kind of closed loop mud systems, closed loop I don't want to go into too much of a specifics, but I can if you want, but if you don't have time, I love talking about specifics. Um, but like, in essence, the other benefit of, of our kind of low impact hardware and operation is that out of that 200 sites that are disturbed, we're not actually disturbed. You know, like we come in, we test, and we know that a lot of them are going to have nothing. So we don't want to also damage that land. We want to be as light as possible, move in, move out, leave nothing behind. So that is sort of very important to us as well. Fantastic. And let's think about the industry broadly. Is there somebody else out there that's doing what you're doing? Yes. There's a number of new startups that are sort of working on the efficiency of exploration. There is a company in Canada called Goldspot. They got listed uh, probably a few years ago. They are like a service company, but they have their own AI technology that helps other you know, mining and exploration companies target the deposits better and they've had some really great success with it lately they identified and invested in newfound gold which is like a new great gold discovery in newfoundland in canada and you know that should their market cap really high and you know i think they're pretty aggressive on m&a they've done some good acquisitions and yeah we stay in touch i mean they're doing a good job in canada like really good outstanding job also there is cobalt metals in the u.s and on the west coast Backed by Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, you know, their fund. So, you know, they have quite a bit of resources. They are focusing on on better targeting as well. And they're kind of partnering with other explorers and miners to kind of also help them explore. Uh, The differentiation between us and them is that 
we are vertically integrated and we kind of save the cost on across the whole thing. Obviously, we never compare the technologies. We never really intersected each other geographically. We don't really compete. I would say we're more like peers, scientists that are alongside working on a similar problem. Like it's really, really early stage, like early times for AI-powered exploration and efficient hardware. You know, it's, it's really early. So like we haven't intersected yet. There's so much potential. And do you, when you think about sizing up that market, because you mentioned you've got your own targeted geography, do you try and aim at an amount of, hey, how I'm going to look at the landmass to identify my opportunity? Or do you look at the number of mining companies that are out there? How do you go about trying to size what is my opportunity versus what I have today of that? Yeah. So in the industry, ultimately, we are in the metals mining industry. And like our focus is narrowed on the metals using sustainable energy infrastructure. So that's that is itself is a six hundred billion dollar market in terms of producing these metals. And you know the revenue is generated mostly from that. Obviously, there is exploration services as a market in itself, and it's the world spends around ten to twenty billion per year on exploration activities. But our business model comes over, you know generate these projects and have a stake in the mine or a royalty from that mine and have that few percent from that revenue. What our main benefit is in this sort of project generation, early stage discovery and exploration. And then we realize there are experts in project development and we're happy to sell them the projects for them to develop and mine it. But our mission is to, not mission, yes, our mission is big, but, you know, it's... it's, (laughs) Supporting uh, the planets for deposits and, you know, <laughs> helping the world transition to sustainable energy. That's what really, you know, exciting and bold. But our plan is to discover as many future mines as possible, future deposits, you know, discover and partially own them, you know, help the world and also just, yeah, build our business. Fantastic. You know, you mentioned about each of you being in a geography now. Do you think in time you might start to see competitive dynamics of others coming into play here? Or are there some barriers that prevent, you know, even you guys being able to go overseas? Is there regulation or is there restrictions? Is there hardware constraints? Yeah. So currently the main competition is for that staking that land, you know, licensing that land. and in the Western countries and pro-mining countries around the world, there isn't really a problem for, you know, foreign companies to operate. So that's not the, like a major issue at all. Like, I think it is the strategic direction, I would say, that differentiates us and that kind of causes some things. We are focused on cost saving and sort of really getting us. So that means we have to centralize. And right now, you know, we have this centralized operation in two states in Australia, in Northern Territory and New South Wales. And that's where we have the expression hubs, that's where we're really efficient in sort of saving the cost on operating. Cobalt metals, they don't have that kind of hardware and operating arm. So that means they are more scalable in terms of applying their targeting analysis and software and spanning across different geographies. And they have done that. They did sign a deal with BHP, you know, a couple of weeks ago, which is in Western Australia, which is close to us. But they have to bear the higher costs. It's just a different direction, you know. And, you know, um, talking about Goldspot, they are doing services. So they, 
I guess it's hard to say for me, but but the service model, I guess it is better in terms of they generate cash while they're doing it, but obviously have smaller stake, but they're also doing investing in in these projects. I'm not super well aware about their model because they have quite a a few models Mm. going on at the same time. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are yeah, very streamlined and clear in what you're doing in that vertical integration that you've pursued there. Let's move on to some of the economics of the business. So it sounds like there's a lot of input costs, a lot of upfront capital, and perhaps that's a barrier to entry. If you think about the profile of over the years, and perhaps this also talks to the revenue model, is it a matter of you look at the exploration area, find what's there, sell it on? So it's kind of those one-off contracts. Or do you go back and monetize those contracts in the future? So, yeah. So in terms of the costs, you know, we'll take it this sort of campaign of projects, you know, starting from hundreds and kind of narrowing it down as it goes through stages. The campaign costs around four and a half million to run. But, you know, with the success rates and costs and build, you're guaranteed to form to have a, an economic discovery. Like guaranteed, but like according to our models. <laughs> Uh, other things. Um, and at any point in this time, you know, when we reach the qualifying kind of sample, qualifying grade, you know, in our work, mm. then we we exit the project, we give it to the developer, and we retain the royalty. And okay. the royalty might not worth as much at that time, you know, of discovery, mm-hmm. but as the project gets developed, it's worth more and more. When the project is about at the pre-feasibility study, it's probably worth tens of millions. When the project done the definitive feasibility study, the road is worth hundreds of millions. Yeah. You can sell it mm. or you can wait until the mine is producing and the road is going to take, and that's not to return road is going to produce, you know, um, well, it depends on your percentage, but let's say <laughs> roughly from one oh. to 5% <laughs> of your, yeah, of your mine revenue minus the smelting and refining costs. It is going to produce from a couple of million to a couple of tens of million dollars per year in royalty revenues, and it's also, you know, it doesn't require any kind of operational input from the royalty holder. So our our plan is to kind of build this royalty bank portfolio and sort of build it up, and while doing that, help new deposits to be found. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the at the royalty banks, you know, they're highly valued and really is a great business model. Like you take Franco Nevada, they have twenty eight employees and their market cap is thirty. 2 billion or something. I haven't checked the latest figures. <laughs> but how efficient is that? A billion per employee. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty good uh, company. Yeah. You can um, have a small office, you know, and be a very major company. Yeah. I guess that's a bit different to some of the tech companies we have because, you know, you can have really strong margins and the ability to roll out that technology. But at the end of the day, you still need constant engineers, you know, redoing that technology, consistently staying ahead of the curve. So thinking again about those upfront costs, you mentioned the hardware component. Is the bulk of the business now going into hardware or is there more so on the software side? Do you think about the splits as to what is the investment phase now of going into hardware? Yeah, well, hardware is way more expensive than running software. I guess that. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is ridiculously more expensive. So we have been focused on the hardware for the last three years, really. Yeah. You know, research process to really understand what are the limiting factors. And, you know, first we build our own drill rig. Then we realized that the mobility and low impact is really paramount there. And like the efficiency of the operation and like increasing the efficiency of like unit produced, like the meter drilled in the shift and also kind of 
preventing downtime. That is also a very big thing in the industry that's costing a lot of money. And physical mobility as well. You know, the current state, it takes weeks to mobilize, demobilize. With our hardware, we can mobilize and demobilize in days, in like one, two days. And that's that saves a lot of money in terms of like how much it costs to run the drilling operation and, you know, five, $10,000 a day. So like, you know, if we save a few weeks, you know, here and there, that is really important. And that is just an operation. But when you think about mineral exploration at the portfolio scale, you know, at current stage, you have to commit with drilling contractors to a set number of drill holes. And then it's really rigid. That program is inflexible. If you drill one hole and you realize, okay, your whole hypothesis was wrong, and now you have to drill in a completely different place, usually you can't stop it. So you already looked in for that program, and the drills will drill it out for you, give you the holes. But you're not looking for holes. <laughs> you're in the business <laughs> of successful holes, not just getting the core. It's about targeting the right place. But that high mobility unlocks really saving, be more prudent on that expiration costs, mm-hmm. so that you can drill a hole here and move in a few days to the next place. Yeah. And then you can rotate between three projects. And, you know, that rotation times helps you kind of test most current hypotheses for every project and not waste resources. Yeah. And then let's think about some of the strategies for growth. So from here onwards, is it about global expansion in time or even for you guys, even state expansion? Or is it about just being able to find some more customers, say, to be able to capture some of the work that you're doing. How do you think about those strategies for growth in the next 12 months? Okay. So we are a U.S. company, but mm. actually we were in Australia before, then we did the flip. We went through Wycombe and did the flip in 2019 and, you know, started working on the U.S., but the COVID made us retreat back to Australia and focus on economics here and our work here. And, you know, right now, I think it is actually making sense for us to really nail the cost and operation in Australia, in New South Wales. And because this is our strategic direction and it's really, I think it's really, really important problem of that cost and we want to centralize. And our current kind of growth and, and business development efforts are towards getting as much partners in New South Wales as possible. So we're signing exploration alliances with other explorers to get access to their land, help them explore, help them find new projects, and agree on the kind of the royalty after we do that. Yeah. And I think there's just a lot of work here that is huge. So yeah. for the next 12 months, we're going to focus on New South Wales and you just nail this, you know, get a few more deposits here. And that is that is our main focus right now. And, you know, in the future, I think the most logical step for us when the international borders reopen is to, you know, continue what we started in the US. And, you know, then... I don't know, South America, Canada, Africa, the world, moon, Mars, Jupiter, etc. <laughs> I like that high aspiration. That's fantastic. And one last question and we ask everybody just around M&A. Um, do you think about that being a way to grow your business in the future? Certainly. Um, certainly is a is an interesting thing for us. Where can which field? There's so much. The first thing that come to my mind that we kind of thought about before and, you know, we might do that in the future is kind of land acquisition from other explorers, number one, and two, maybe acquiring drilling companies that have some hardware, have some good people and sort of they can really help us scale our operation. 
because you know we do need to scale the operation with our model we need some great people we need some hardware we need to obviously build some extra stuff modify it to serve our standard but it does need that infrastructure that you know it probably is more efficient to acquire from someone than to buy outright from new yeah Makes sense. Well, Roman Teslik, founder and CEO of Earth AI, I am very grateful for your time today. I feel as though I should flag this to some of those investors that are in that mining and metal space. I always enjoy seeing technology across all different industries. So thank you once again for being part of our series. Thank you, Liz. It was a pleasure. It was great. Thank you.